book of James, chapter 4. And um, I hadn't heard anybody surprisingly say much about it this morning. Maybe y'all did in Sunday school. But what a great week for the people of God in America. It, It gives me hope that God still not turned us completely over. And you know, um, I seen that and I was looking at the reactions and surely we've been praying for this for a long, long time. The only reason it happened is because people who have a connection with God has prayed and not quit and they've stood up and proclaimed the truth about what God says about the sanctity of life And they did it with a humble spirit of humility, believing that what we can't do, God will do when we put it in his hands. And it took quite a long time. And I thank God that the decision was made to overturn overturn the Supreme Court decision for Roe versus Wade. But guys, the battle has just begun. It's not over. And we need to continue to realize that There is a spiritual war going on every day. That spiritual warfare is real. And if you're saved, you're in the battle, whether you want to be or not. And this week I was studying and I found this text and it had this um, question. (laughs) And I don't know about y'all, but how many of y'all are tired of fighting? Tired of the just not getting along? Why can't Americans just be Americans again? But no, we're not just Americans anymore. I think it used to be at least we were American Republicans and American, but now we're Democrat Americans, I believe, before we're Americans. And if you're a Christian, you're a Christian, that just opens up a whole other can. But you know, as I began to look at this passage that we're going to look at this morning, boy, I I was looking at it from the way I've always thought and You ever have God catch you out of nowhere and knock you over the head? This week, I got hit and knocked down. I ran into a spiritual wall. His name was God. And it changed a lot of the things that I have naturally always assumed and thought because it fits my personality. I don't know if y'all realize this yet. One day when I was leading the service up front when Ronnie Witten was still here, he had his little thing that you got there sitting on the thing when I was getting ready to preach and man I was talking and y'all know how my hands move and I get and my hand hit it and it went flying it hit the floor and it went under the piano and the sound man brother Paul said brother Marvin you're gonna tear up Ronnie's iPad I said oh I'm sorry Ronnie he said that's all right you cannot help it you have an aggressive personality (laughs) and some people do But God showed me today that you can't overcome evil with evil. We're not going to overcome those who are out there protesting and rioting and cussing our God by protesting and rioting back. You can't out-riot a riot. You can't out-protest a protest. And I hear this amazing thing about peaceful protest. What an oxymoron. If you're protesting, you don't have peace. (laughs) And if you're protesting and protesting the way protesting is supposed to be, it's impossible to be peaceful. Because a protest is not peace, and peaceful is not protest. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, when people who have no spirit of God in them, no restraint from the Holy One who lives within us, gets to the point of protesting, it's going to result in tumultuous behavior that causes riotous activity every time because of the weakness and the wickedness of our flesh. And if you ask yourself this question, where do wars and fights come from among you? And I'll show you in a minute, he's not talking about all mankind, he's talking about brethren, the children of God. Where do wars and fights come from among us? And he answers the question, we'll read it right quick, and then we're going to pray. And I left my glasses in my office, so y'all pray my eyes will work. Where do wars and fights come from among you? And he answers that question with a question. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? Talking about your body, your fallen nature. He says, you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. What he's meaning is you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then he calls people of God adulterers and adulteresses. He's talking about spiritual adultery. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? That's hostility with God. And whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? For he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Father, today I'm going to ask you to give me help that I don't deserve to get. And help me to say words that I'm unworthy to be able to say. For your glory and for your purpose and for our benefit that we might learn, Lord, that as children of God, how we can avoid wars and fights among us. And how we can be victorious in this great spiritual warfare that's going on before us each and every day between good and evil. God and the devil the world and your kingdom. Lord, help us to understand that when we got saved, we got drafted. We became marked. And because your spirit lives within us, we're no longer the same. And we're different. And help us to remember this day that we cannot compromise. We cannot agree. We cannot ever be friends with the world system that wants to live apart from you and without you. But at the same time, we can't fight their way and win. We can only win when we fight your way.
So, Lord, today teach us about war and fighting and help us to learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of fighting. And One of the things I hate the most in being in the ministry is conflict. And when people disagree, they start saying who's right and who's wrong. You know, when we look here and we say, where do wars and fights come from? He doesn't take long to hit the nail on the head, does he? He says it comes from us. And our desire for pleasure, to have it what we want instead of what God wants, is basically what he says. He says, you lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain So you fight and you war over it. And then he says, for us who know the Lord, we ask and we don't even ask sometimes. We just try to get the spoils of this world when we don't even belong to the world. And then he says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. You ask with wrong motives. And what is the wrong motive? Well, how do you pray wrong? When you pray selfishly for your desire and for your will instead of God's will and for your pleasure instead of for God's glory. And friends, if there's ever been a church on the face of the earth in the history of Christianity that was more about us than him, that was more about our pleasure than his glory, I think the church in America has a pretty good chance of winning that title. And I'm preaching to Marvin. We love our pleasure. We love our having it our way. We're so spoiled, pampered in America that when it doesn't go our way, we cry like babies, oh, woe is me, and we get angry, and we go to war. I can see war being in the world. I can understand a Putin and a Ukraine, Russia, and I can understand war being in the country that we have, but I have always struggled with war being in our churches, fighting, being in the people of God. And as a pastor, having seen how powerful and how weak, you say, what do you mean? How can it be powerful and weak? The flesh, my friend, is a powerfully weak enemy of God's will in our life. Nothing surprises me anymore of what can happen in a Christian home. And I see how Christians can fight. But, you know, also I see in my own heart the battle that goes on every day for Marvin's will or God's will. And, you know, today as we look at this, I want to talk to us about three things God put on my heart. The cause of our warring and fighting. The cause of it. And then the consequence, which is really a curse, of what happens when you allow yourself as a child of God to be so consumed with the desires of the flesh that you enter into the world no different and you want what the world wants. You love the world. You're after what the world has to offer more than what God wants to give you to the point that you become friends with the world because what the world loves, you love. There's a consequence when that happens in a Christian's life. And then I want to tell us the good news. There's a cure for it. The cure of our war. When people are warring and fighting and there's a bunch of conflict between their lives, I can promise you, almost every time, it's because of what they want and because of the selfishness of their flesh. You know, this week God showed me something. 
If you take flesh and spell it backwards and take the H off, you know what it says? Self. Self and flesh are very much in love with one another. And guys, he tells this right here that the raw problem where wars come from is within us. It's that we lust and we do not have. That we murder and we covet and we cannot obtain. We go about it in a wrong way. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask God. And you do not ask God because when you ask God, you're asking amiss. You're asking for the wrong reason. And so what happens is if you're not careful, you become a carnal, worldly Christian. And today, American Christians doesn't think there's anything wrong with not being spiritual, without being godly, without striving for holiness and Christ-likeness, that it's okay to be more like the world than to be more like Jesus. It's more, it's okay, it's, it's nothing to worry about if you're more involved with the world and the world has got you more than the kingdom. Because today I'm here to tell you the cause that has that happening to us, the cause of our wars and our fights, is that you can either listen today to the Spirit of God that dwells in you, that yearns for you, that desires to bless you, to change you, to transform you to where you won't be conformed to the world, but transform you with the renewing of your mind so that you might be able to prove the good and perfect will of God by who you are and how you live. You see, the Bible says that we have the Spirit within us. He speaks about it right there. That Do you not think that the Scripture says in vain, that it says it for nothing, that the Spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously of us? And so every day, if the Spirit is in you, the war began. <laughs> for that lost world out there, those heathens, that are shouting for their American rights and they're, they're, they're crying out for things and angry for things that God has easily said in the Word of God is wrong. And they, they want what God says is wrong to be right and what God says is right to be wrong and they're willing to fight and they're willing to destroy people's lives and tear up property and go and make a big ruckus. Guys, the reason that happens is because the God Spirit is not in them. But for us, how can wars happen among us when God's Spirit is in us, yearning for us to be able to bless us, to enlighten us, to empower us, to engage us in the activities that glorify God and bless us? Because of this right here. You see, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, we have an advantage. We can't plead ignorance and we can't plead inability anymore. God, we're born again. His life, His Spirit lives in us if this book is true. And if you encountered Jesus and you got saved by the blood of the cross and He removed your sins, when He removed your sins, He put His Spirit in you. Can I get an amen? And you became a new creature. And now all things have passed away. All things have become new. You're no longer the same. And so listen, every day you have to make a choice. 
every, and not just one day, but all day. For the, le- the flesh of the, lo- the flesh lust against the spirit. And the spirit is lusting against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm no longer complete ignorant. Before I ever see it in the Word, and before the Word ever tells me it's wrong, I know when I'm doing wrong. Because when I'm doing wrong, I feel it in my heart, in my spirit. God will not leave you, my friend, if He saved you to walk in ignorance that endangers you, that will ruin your life. He will somehow show you. So the Spirit leads us. And these are contrary to one another so that you no longer can do the things that you wish. The things that the world does, you can no longer do and be happy for it. You can no longer be in agreement with the world and walk in agreement with God. Friends, in America, the church today, if we're honest, is much more like the world than we are like the kingdom. We look much more like the worldly people who have no God than we do our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, I want you to think about this. The cause of our warring is that we don't allow God to be what drives us and motivates us. We allow the desires of the flesh to have the things of the world. And friends, listen. What happens when you begin to let the flesh have control and you begin to walk in the flesh more than the spirit, the flesh gets stronger and the spirit in you gets weaker. You know what the Bible says can happen to the spirit of God in a Christian? You can grieve him. You can grieve him according to the word of God to the point that you can quench him. And if you don't believe me, Get right with God. Get full of the Holy Ghost. Stand at your family as a man of God and lead under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and go have you an affair. Go do what the world does and watch what happens to your anointing. Watch what happens to the joy of that spirit in you and the strength and empowerment and enablement. It will yearn jealously for you. It will no longer bless you. It will no longer anoint you. It will no longer enlighten you and show you the wisdom. It will no longer give you the power to apply that wisdom and walk in that wisdom. Friends, you've got to walk with him. When God shows you, you go and you do and you listen. And the spirit, when he is in charge, he helps you to crucify the flesh. And the more you walk in the spirit, the less the flesh can control you. And the more you let the Spirit have control of your life, the more the Spirit gives you victory. And I'm not here to tell you you'll ever not be in this war. You'll be tempted till you go to heaven. You'll be sometimes fail, but you'll always know that the Spirit is there. I want to ask you today, is the Spirit actively working and making an influence in your life for God's glory, or have you got so far off in the world You can't remember the last time you felt his anointing. That beautiful song we sang. Lord, you're welcome here. We want to feel your presence here, to stand in your presence. There's nothing better. When's the last time God interrupted you to the point that you were overwhelmed with who he is in your life? Because that's what the Spirit does. But see, once you begin to let the flesh take those old desires and you feed them, you begin to want more and more of it. 
And what happens in a Christian's life when you let the world in? The world comes in with a vengeance. And friends, there is warnings throughout the Bible about worldliness in a Christian's life. But I want you to look at this with me. The consequence of our war and our fight. When we don't fight correctly, when we don't walk in the Spirit, when we give in to the flesh and we let the flesh control us, friends, what happens eventually is that we begin to become friends of the world. Before long, if you're not careful, if you start living like the world and you start desiring the world and you start allowing the world to be what you're desiring out of life, you'll begin to compromise with the world. And you'll begin to be a friend of the world. You'll begin to be in agreement with the world. We talked about that the other day, last week, when we was looking at a man of God and how at first, you know, the, the counsel of the ungodly gets your attention. And then you begin to let, look at it and you begin to think about it. And before long, it, it, it begins to draw you and it has your affection. And before long, you're in agreement with it. And once you begin to agree with it, you affirm it by doing what they do also. And guys, that's what worldliness does. You see, the consequences of our war and our fight against the world and the flesh and the devil is that we must walk in the Spirit. We must live for the Lord Jesus, and we must serve the kingdom and not the world. And friends, listen what he says happens. He says, when you get to the point that you are more of a worldly person and the world is more what's got you. The things in your life more resemble the world. The things that you find you're, you're trying to find satisfaction in is more the things of the world than the things of God. You become an adulterer or an adulteress. So he's, what he's talking about is not a physical adulterer. He's talking about a spiritual adulterer. He's talking about you become a spiritual adulterer, and that's used throughout the Old Testament. James being a Jew and speaking to Jewish believers primarily, they would have got this right away. And friends, I want you to think about this. The Bible says do not love the world. Do not love the world. Not only do not love the world, but do not love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, the Bible says. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. What is the lust of the flesh? That's what feeds your old appetite. That's what makes you feel good. It can be sexual. It can be greed. It can be covetousness. It can be that you want materialism things. You want sometimes praise and adoration. You want to be recognized. But all those things are to the lust, the lust of the eyes. The devil, when he comes after you, he doesn't use things that are ugly. He doesn't use things that doesn't look appealing. He uses things that are beautiful. You ever noticed? If he's sending something to tempt you, it's not going to look unappealing. It's going to be attractive. It's going to be beautiful to your eyes. And then he also is going to use something that's going to make you feel good. Oh, man, this will make me feel better. This will make me be somebody. This will make people look at me different. I'll be somebody. That's exactly what he did even in the garden. He used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life to bring sin into mankind. Look at this verse. You go back to Genesis. When the serpent was tempting the woman, it says, so when the woman saw that your tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, it'll feed my appetite. Ooh, it'll make my belly full. It'll make me satisfied. And then it says, and it was pleasant for the eyes. Ooh, it looked good. Man, look how beautiful it is. Oh, man, it was the lust of the eyes that got Eve. But then when Satan helped her to see that the tree was desirable to make you wise, what did he tell her? Man, if you do this, you'll be like God. You'll be somebody. Man, you'll know right and wrong. You'll be way better if you have this. What does the devil do? The world. The world is sold out for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Man, I want to be a man of, of high regard. I want to be a man who's famous. I want popularity. I want people to notice me. I want the things in this world that are beautiful. I want the money and the gold and all the things that it can buy. Oh, I want the things that will make me feel good here. And friends, I want you to look about this. This is exactly what happened. The world uses the lust of the flesh just like the devil used that the tree was good for food. The world is using the lust of the eyes just like the devil used that it was pleasant to the eyes and the pride of life. And guys, when you give in to that, and you keep feeding that, and you allow that to come into your life, and you're chasing after that, this is what happens to you. Worldliness and godliness cannot coexist. You can never be godly if you are worldly. And those who are worldly will never be godly. When we want the saddest, this is a quote from Tony Evans and his um, study Bible, when we want the satisfaction of our own desires above all else, we commit idolatry. And once that, that we're seeking after, that we desire, becomes more important than God, we worship something other than God. It can be a relationship. It can be something sexual. It can be an addiction. It can be anything. It can be a good thing that you've allowed to take the place of God. And so... That's what the world's chasing. It's looking for things outside of God to satisfy them. And they've fallen for the lie that it's out there, and so they're fighting for it. You can't ask God for it because God ain't going to give it to you because it's not good for you, plus it's not beneficial or bring him glory. So I want you to think about this. When worldliness and godliness comes into a Christian's life, idolatry is what the Bible calls spiritual adultery. When there's something in your life that takes God as first place. Remember what Jesus said to the church in Revelations, the first church, the church that, was, that loved him. I want you to listen to what it says. The church of Ephesus, this is what Jesus said about it. He said, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, that's your endurance, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have persevered and you have patience and you have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary but nevertheless I have this against you you've left your first love and if Jesus is not your first love something always is and that's your God and friends what's happening today is that 
friendship with the world, compromising, agreeing with them that this ain't that bad. I know God says it's wrong, but everybody else says it's right. I know God says this is right, but I think it's wrong. So what do you do? Friendship with the world takes our attention away from God first. And then once you give it your attention and you give into it, it robs your affection from God to the point sooner or later you become more loyal to the world than the Lord. You know why so many churches today are corrupting themselves and doing things that are blatantly opposed to the word of God? Because they want the world's favor more than God's. You know why churches will do things that the world promotes and that the world says if you don't do, how can you love us? How can you be godly if you're going to treat us this way so we give in to their lies? It's because you would rather have friendship with the world than to have friendship with God. And look at what he tells us in that passage. He says right there, you spiritual adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, that's hostility with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And friends, when that happens, I want you to see something here. Pride in flesh is what causes worldliness. Worldliness is the enemy of godliness. And it's not God and your spirit, his spirit in you that causes worldliness. It's your pride for what you want, your desires, even above God's. And it's listening to your old way, your fallen nature, your flesh. Worldliness is the enemy. But you know what God does? Because his spirit is in us. He says right there, if you look at that next verse, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I know they don't like this. God, but help me, Jesus, we got to preach it. It's the truth. It's what's wrong with America. It's what's wrong with the church. It's what's wrong with our families. We watch what they watch. We're entertained by what they are entertained with. We go where they go. We listen to what they listen to. We're no different. We talk like them. We desire what they want. And then we wonder, You can't sit at the devil's table and eat the world's buffet and receive the Lord's bountiful blessings. But we think we can. So what does God do? Because his spirit is in us and he yearns jealously because we're his bride. God will never let his people, the church, the bride, cheat on his son and there not be consequences. So what does he do? He resists us. What does it mean when he resists us? What does he resist? What does he not give us? Grace. The most important thing you need today, my friend, is grace. It was grace that saved you. It was grace that forgave you. It is grace that sustains you. It is grace that changes you. Everything you receive from God, you don't deserve. It's given to you because of grace. So what makes you a candidate for this grace, humility, the opposite of pride. Friends, I want you to see this. The cure of its war, and I know we are all in it. I'm in it. 
I want to watch stuff. I want to be where he says, I want to do things that God says you can't do, but everybody else does it. Man, I'm telling you, it ain't hard to look accepted in a Baptist church in this place where we live today. As long as you're not killing people, as long as you're not for the things that we, we can get away with a lot, but we're really not getting away with it if God is not for it. And friends, I want you to look at the cure. James 4, 7, look at what he says. He says, therefore, submit to God. Then resist the devil. He said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So therefore, submit to God. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Listen to what he says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Those two verses is the last thing most people ever want to hear that are looking for a church. They want a church that's going to make them laugh. They want a church that's going to produce joy. They want a church that's going to celebrate. But friends, I want you to think about this. Our pride does not like to let us admit that our hands are dirty because of sin and that they need cleansing. Our pride, the last thing we want to admit is that we need a heart to get purified because it's filled with the filth and dirt of the world. David cried out, creating me a clean heart, O God. When's the last time you said that? When's the last time you even thought that? Listen to what he says right here. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Friends, if you're going to draw near to God, you've got to submit to him. That means what God says is right is right and what God says is wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter if the whole world, if America says it, it don't matter if your whole neighborhood says you're a nut to believe what you believe. God said it and I'm going to submit to it. It don't matter what's popular. It doesn't matter what the world says. And friends, listen, when you do that, that's what humility is. To give up your right to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Listen to what he says. Lament and mourn, weep. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, I want you to look at this with me. Pride in flesh cause worldliness, but humility and grace causes godliness God gives grace to the humble how do you know if you have humility well if you say I'm so proud of my humility you ain't got it <laughs> I'm the most humble person in the church yeah right <laughs> so how do you tell what's a sign what's reliable scriptural evidence from God when humility is there that your life is being changed, that you're no longer conforming to the world, but you're being transformed to Christ-likeness. And you're no longer like all the rest. You don't think like them, you no longer act like them, and you don't desire what they want because something happened to you that you didn't do, that religion couldn't produce, but one day you said, Lord, I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to be like that. I want to be real. I want to not be a hypocrite. I want to be genuine. And you said, Lord, I humble myself. I submit to you. Jesus, I want to draw near to you. And Jesus said, if you want to draw near to me, let me show you the things in your life that are wrong. Your big mouth that runs people down, that judges people, that tells lies has got to go. And that's not even thought of bad in the Baptist church anymore. Gossiping, slandering against your brethren. 
I'm going to show you. It's right here. And then he says, and when you go and you participate and you do things and you hurt things, your hands, you need the first thing you do is cleanse your hands, you sinner. But what does pride say? I'm a good Baptist. I'm good or better than the rest of them sitting in that church. It don't matter if the rest of that church ain't right with God. And friends, most of the church probably ain't where they ought to be. So are you going to compare yourself to others or to God? And then what does he say? Purify your heart. I don't know about y'all, but my heart is wicked, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Thank God God shows it to me sometimes. Because you know what Marvin wants to think about my heart? I'm a good man. I'm a good husband. I'm a pastor. But you can be doing all those things in your heart. Be after and desiring things that ain't supposed to be in your life. Does this ring a bell? And friends, I'm going to tell you, if you put yourself at the table with the world, you don't have it in your ability to resist. God has to help you to resist. So what does he do? He gives us grace. Look at what he says right here. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. You know, this week, if we really look at ourselves, we're lazy. If you look right up above here, look at verse 17 of chapter 4. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him that is sin too. It ain't always the things we're doing that is wrong, but a lot of times it's the things that are right we're not doing. We don't pray. We don't witness. We don't tell people about the gospel. We're really not involved with the kingdom work. We go to church. Guys, listen, you know how we're going to win this war? Not by going toe-to-toe with people and protesting, rioting. You know how you're going to win this war? On your knees, humbly praying. That's what overturned Roe versus Wade, I can promise you. And thank God he, God heard those prayers, and then people did what you're supposed to do. We stood up for this book. We proclaimed it in love, the truth in love. Standing up, not compromising. I know you hate my God, and I know you hate me for loving my God, and I know you can't stand the church, but I'm here to tell you that my God loves you, and I'm here to tell you that he died for you. And the good news is that you're a sinner like me, but you can be forgiven. And yes, they're going to run us down. Yes, they're going to talk bad about us, but talking back against them bad negates all the good you're doing. Because when I look at this, and I'm fixing to show you, it blew my mind. This is the spiritual wall that put me on my Baptist butt. I ran into it wide open like I always do. And I know some of you said, oh, he said Baptist butt in church. If that bothers you more than the condition of America and the condition of our churches and probably the condition of our lives and families, maybe that might be the problem. But I want you to think about this. How did Jesus say humility shows up? What's it look like? You know, when I look at this, and I began to see, he said, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Look at what he says right below that. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Man, how often do we do that? We don't think anything of speaking evil of one another. 
you know, speaking evil and showing all the things wrong with the ones around you is one way of elevating yourself to make you look better than you really are. But he says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, his name is Jesus, who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Guys, we don't have any ability in any authority from God to judge anybody. When we judge the liberals, when we judge the Democrats, and guys knows I've said it from this pulpit and I will never, ever again, God help me, it is not my job to judge them people. You know what my job's to do? Witness to them people. Testify of the good news to them people. Love them people. My job is not to resist them. My job is to help them. And that's your job too if you're a Christian. But what do we do? We've become judges of everybody. And we've allowed it to enter not only into the world, but into the church. Look at what he says right here. See, guys, it's the spirit and grace that provides the ability for us to be different. Look at what he says when you look at verse 13 of chapter 3. Look over one chapter. Look at verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. He says, if we've received wisdom. Now, what does he tell us in the first chapter? James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and he will be given to him. But we don't always like God's wisdom because God's wisdom goes against the world. God's wisdom goes against your flesh and what you want to believe and what you have embraced. Listen to what he says right here. He says, but if you have, look at verse 14, bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. Self-seeking and bitter envy in your heart. The Holy Spirit can show you that if it's there. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's exactly. If it's earthly, it's fleshly, it's carnal. If it's sensual, it's not spiritual. And if it's demonic, it's of the devil. But look at what he says the wisdom that comes from God does. But the wisdom that is from God above is first pure. And then look at the next thing it is. Then it's peaceable and it's gentle. You know what the lost world needs to see? A Christian whose conduct is peaceable and gentle who's willing to yield. Yield to who? Yield to God first and submit to God. But yield to who else? Others. Jesus said that we are to treat others like we want to be treated. We are to treat others better than ourselves. Listen to what it's saying, the wisdom of God that God will give us, that he'll give us the grace to understand it and the empowerment to live it out, and he'll help us to make it real in our life until we can engage the world. Listen to what he says. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, 
without partiality and without hypocrisy. That means it's genuine, it's sincere, it's what it says it is. It's without partiality, it doesn't separate people, it doesn't judge rich and poor, black and white. It looks at everybody with mercy, with gentleness. It yields to what's best for others. And look at what he says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If we're right with God and our life is what God wants it to be and we've humbled ourselves and the Lord has lifted us up and he's given us the wisdom, the fruit of that righteousness is going to be evidenced in that we're going to be sowers of peace. We're going to be those who make peace. And I got to thinking about Jesus. You see, Jesus, when the world came against him, he didn't fight back. Do you remember when they came to arrest him? What did old Peter do? I'm a Peter. (laughs) Peter, man, when he said, I'm willing to die with you, Lord, he meant it his way. But he didn't mean it God's way, Jesus' way. See, Jesus was just willing to let them do whatever they wanted. Peter was going to die, but he was going to die fighting. What did Peter do? He pulled the sword, cut off the high priest's servant's ear, and what did Jesus say? Peter, put the sword up. It's not our way. Those who live by the sword die by the sword and the Bible says they took our Jesus our Savior our Lord the most important person and the most important thing in our life the beautiful holy sinless Jesus they began to beat him and mistreat him they chained him they falsely arrested him and they drug him and they taunted him and they done everything that the world could do and it says that he went as a sheep to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. That's so not Marvin. (laughs) And then it says that as they nailed him to the cross and they did everything to him, and they raised him up, the most amazing thing was in the midst of all of that, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And that's how he won our freedom. That's how he won our liberty and our salvation. That's what overcame the evil of sin in this world. And God said, Marvin, you're not going to overcome it with your AR and your bullet supply and your Glock and your Colt. And I'm all for defending myself if you come into my home, but we are not to go looking for it. We're not to meet force with force. This is what Jesus said. It comes right from the the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the wall. This is where I'm still battling this. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know who's going to take over this world one day? Not all those rich, powerful people who are just sucking all the spoil it has to offer up for them greedy selves. You know who's going to take over this world one day with Jesus? Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And if Jesus said it, it's going to happen. So what does the meek look like? What does the sons of God, the peacemakers, how do they win the world? To God. He says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. 
and falsely accuse you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So if you persecute me, do I get to persecute you back? If you protest me, am I going to protest you? No. Listen to what Jesus said we do. Goes against every man I know. He said, you heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Don't resist him. Don't act like him. Paul said it this way, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with doing good. Well, what does that mean? How do you overcome evil by doing good? Well, you listen to Jesus. You submit to Jesus. And you say, Lord, here I am. I'm I'm surrendered. I'm drawing near to you. And the more closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll be like him. Listen to what he says. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your shirt, give him your coat. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him and ask you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good in those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It's a hard thing for me to look at that and realize that I'm nothing like that. I mean, I asked Jack. Me and Jack almost got in a fight out here one day. <laughs> and I don't even remember what it was about. I said, man, that, that Jack's wanting to whoop me. So I bowed up. Thank God Jesus got a hold of us. And I felt bad about it. He must have felt bad at one day at Cowboy Church. I was looking, and here he comes. He said, Brother Marvin, I love you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I said, I forgive And we hugged. And we've been better since then, since before. See, that's what Jesus does. How does Jesus make peace? He makes us do what we don't naturally want to do. When you've gotten in a conflict with a person who's brought conflict back, the natural thing is to overcome him with more conflict. But Jesus says that never works because more conflict just makes you more worldly and more ungodly. You're never more like God than when you treat people who don't deserve it. Good. You're never more like Jesus than when people who hurt you and offend you and you forgive them. Not because they deserve it, but because they need it. And friends, what the world needs to see is not churches condemning the Democrats and the liberals and the left and everybody who is openly opposed to our God. I agree they are. The the question that we need to answer about what happened this week, I heard Jesse Waters say, the Constitution won. 
a woman has the constitution does not have the constitutional right for an abortion. The constitution guarantees the right to life. But that's not true. It goes way above the constitution. The question is not whether a woman has the constitutional right to have an abortion. The question is, does she have the God-given right to kill her child? And call it what it is. And if you want to fight for that, that's evil. But I'm not going to fight you back. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to tell you about the God who gave his life so that you can be forgiven of those things you are so for. And friends, listen, the only way we're going to overcome the wickedness in this world is to overcome it with the goodness and the mighty grace of God. And you know who God gives the grace to? That humble person who says, Lord, it hurts. I'm suffering. They're mistreating me. But God pours the grace on that person. And the people that's changed the world are not the aggressives. Although there's a need to be bold and share the gospel. Tell your testimony and let them know what God's done for you. Pray, witness, don't be ashamed of the word in the Bible. But at the same time, love people and don't run them down. Friends, until we quit judging and running all the people that we're opposed to in America, we're not going to win them. Now, I want to ask you something. If I was to bring somebody in here who is an open abortionist and I got them to come and they came to church and you said man I've seen them and they're famous for it and I'm not going to name no names because I promised God I was going to quit doing that <laughs> but I came in and you said man I know what they stand for they say they're they say they're religious but they ain't religious they, they promote abortion he brought them in here would you be comfortable with that would you invite them come back would you tell them come sit with me because I would do my best to get them to sit with Diane as my guest of honor and to listen to our side of the story and to love them I would do more to help them and love on them than I do y'all y'all already have to love me you're saved <laughs> when you come in a church and you look different do they treat you different brother he cracked me up. You know what he said at Brother Jimmy's funeral? He said, when I first started coming, Brother Jimmy was the first one to accept me and treat me like everybody else. He said, a lot of other people, that long-haired, tattooed rascal. <laughs> people that are different are hard to love. And the more different, the more ungodly you are, the harder they're loved. But that's the ones who need to be loved the most. Because you know that same thing happened with Jesus. Jesus found this notorious sinner that was hated by all the religious folks. His name was Levi. He was as bad as they get. He was a dang turncoat tax collector. Collected for the Romans against his own people, the Jews, at the tax table. And one day Jesus walks by and he sees, oh, wicked, liberal, worldly, turn from being a chosen of God and he's serving the Romans the world the Gentiles and Jesus says Levi come and follow me 
We never know which one might be a Levi. And Levi got up and he followed Jesus. And he was so excited, he went and invited all his tax gatherer friends. And all them tax collectors came to Levi's house and Levi threw a party in honor of Jesus. And he invited all his sinner friends. And those old religious Pharisees said, what is this Jesus doing? Eating and drinking with sinners. <laughs> Boy, I've been that person. You know what Jesus told him? He says, man, I didn't come for those who are healthy. I came for the sick. <laughs> I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. I don't know if any of Levi's friends got saved that night, but they got introduced to Jesus. I would imagine Jesus treated them the way he treated everybody else. He didn't compromise, but he loved them. He told them the truth. And he would have accepted them if they wanted to follow it. But he let them know you can come if you want to come. What if someone like one of these high profile got saved and totally radically got on the public scene and said, I got saved. You know, people laughed about Trump saying he was saved. But you know, we can thank Trump to a degree for what happened this week because he did what he said he did. He appointed the kind of judges that he knew would make the hard choices. And friends, sometimes it's a hard choice that you have to make. One of the hardest is loving people that don't deserve to be loved. Like I said, I hit this brick wall, and if God made me run into it, I figured he wants you to run into it with me. Amen? But guys, ain't it hard to realize that the way we're going to win them is not by being like them, being so different that they look at us and say, I've never seen anything like that. That's how Jesus was. And guys, there is a place and there is a time to protect yourself, to defend yourself, but we are not to be on the offense. We are to be trying to love them and accept them. I hope this makes sense to you today because I'm going to tell you right now it takes humility to do this. And I hope if you've got something in your life today that's on your hands that need to get cleansed that you'll get Jesus to wash it. If you've got something in your heart today that's drawing you from God and you're in the world, that altar right here is a place where you can find grace for help. And if you have problems with some of the things that God showed us today, but the Holy Spirit will show you if you want to know. Because all you got to do is say, Lord, I'm going to submit to you today. That's the step, first step in humility. And Lord, I'm going to draw near to you. So as I draw near to you, you're going to show me the things that are keeping me from you. And as you show me, Lord, I'm going to turn from them and I'm going to turn to you. And I'm going to humble myself in your sight. And God says, if you do that, I will lift you. Ain't that awesome to be lifted up by the Lord? Today, forgive that person that you're bitter with. Today, get rid of that sinful habit that's holding you back. Today, change that ungodly belief that you know is wrong, that you've agreed with, that you know God says you can't. And friends, come to Jesus today and humble yourself and watch what happens. He will change your heart. 
and he will change your life and he'll use your life to change others. I've said everything I know to say up to this point, so I'm going to just be quiet. And I'm going to ask you to listen to God and do what he's telling you to do. What are we going to sing, Brother Jonathan? Oh, we say, would you stand with me? Father, I pray that we would learn, Lord, that we'll never overcome the evil that's around us with more evil. The forces that are coming against us will never be overcome with more force. That the greatest strength that's ever been manifested on this earth was a God who knelt in a garden who was so stressed that he sweat drops of blood because he was so willing to not do his will but your will and embrace a cup that was not for him but was for everybody else. Lord, help us to understand it's not all about us, it's about everybody. And Help us to do our part Lord, help me to be a better witness and a better pastor, a better husband. More than anything, Lord, help us to be better Christians. And I pray for us at this time of invitation that you'll move in our hearts and we'll see things accomplished and you'll make a difference in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.